<laughs> I titled this "Come Fail Away with Me." I know, right? and I've been I've been singing, uh, you know, that in my head the whole time. <sighs> if you can't remind yourself away. how old you are with musical references, I mean, what are we doing here? My high school swing choir performed that. Um, so that yeah. is not a surprise. Yeah, yeah, it's one of my one of the things in my checkered past. <laughs> I don't know if that makes it checkered. I mean, were you were were you doing like extreme amounts of illegal substances and no. gambling illegally? I mean, what no. were you child no, trafficking? No. I mean, come on. No, but I will say that there were parts of Glee that were a little close to home. So <laughs> that's fine. Listen, I did drama. I did drama all four years of high school. I remember in, actually, I remember in third grade, I played Frosty in a production of Frosty the Snowman. And Mel, I played Frosty. You want to know why? Because then I had, it wasn't because I was like a child prodigy, extreme acting chops. I, I learned years, years and years later. I only got the part because my mom was willing, willing to make a snowman costume for me. And back then you did it by hand. And that was mm -hmm. the only reason I thought like, man, the teacher saw something in me. Nope. I was just willing to make a costume. Okay. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> I'm basically doing the inner the opening right now. So you are, as it turns out. Episode of the Agile Uprising podcast. The person that I'm Chris Merman, if you haven't figured that out, losers. Um, and the person that you've heard say three words because I keep run to speaking and run on sentences is Paul Tevis. So hi, hi, Paul. We, we're, hi, you Chris. claim to be a friend of mine in public, right? Exactly. Yeah, I've been willing to be seen with you in public on, on specific occasions. Uh, yeah, context, yeah. At, yeah. At a very, very specific time where we were just happened to be in the same point in time. Nobody ever walked up and said, hi, here's Paul Tevis. Meet Chris, meet Paul Tevis. Nobody ever said, hey, Chris, have you met Paul Tevis before? You were just like, we just were there at similar conversations. And I was like, yeah, I'm pretty sure we were never actually introduced, but we just kept being in the same place in the same conversation, yeah, yeah. saying and similar things. So Cheryl or Jenny or Natalie or someone just said, mm -hmm. Hey, Paul. And I went, oh, by the way, that's Paul. And there you go. It says Tevis on his name. Right. <laughs> that sounds, I, I guess we're that sounds like the origin story. Yeah. Yeah. I guess we're friends now. Yeah. You know, I mean, as much as <laughs> if, if, if I have friends in this community, you're on that list. So I'm, I'm honored to be on that list. <laughs> well, uh, I don't even know. I mean, what would you tell the audience that you do? What would you say that you do, Paul? Every time somebody asks me that, I have the scene from Office Space, like play in my head, where the Bobs yeah. are interviewing people, which yeah. is a story that's going to come back later, as it turns out. Um, but uh, so I, <laughs> I run a small consulting firm called Helping Improve. Um, I have been described as uh, an organizational effectiveness consultant, uh, which is a, a, a motto I sometimes embrace. Um, what I tell people that I do a lot of is um, I help uh, companies to achieve better results through a combination of process improvement and leadership development. Because the ways that you are able to work, that process side of things, is limited by your beliefs about what works, which is the leadership development piece. And so mm -hmm. oftentimes, if you actually want to make your processes better, you have to do some learning and some coming to understand about For sure. what how it is you see the world. And so sure. I work um, I work with, I do a lot of agile training with large companies. I do advisory consulting with startups. I do one-on-one -on -one coaching with executives, uh, but it all kind of has that through line of um, recognizing unproductive patterns and shifting them in some way. Yeah. And then every now and then you get shoved into a room with Calabrese and are told to like, get along. We, uh, we, we, we do. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, so I, if, if, if people want to know what Paul, I would describe Paul as a professional is, and I've not seen him in a professional setting, just seen him sp speaking at professional settings. And I'm assuming that's the exact same because any of us, that's how we all get to know each other is like, we're at a conference. I assume you're not terrible. You must be okay at your job. 
I would like to describe Paul as what if a uh, what if a Trekkie and an Agilist had a baby? That's how I would describe okay. Paul. Okay, I not could, a red-shirted Trekkie like one oh, of okay. the, like the one of like the yellowish ones, you know, like Ooh. the science or, or is that the science officer? Yellow is command. Science is blue. Blue. Sorry, blue. Yeah, you're like the science. <laughs> you're like a science Trekkie. <laughs> the fact that I can answer that them. question is ridiculous. But here we go. <laughs> sure. Yeah. What it, you think I'm going to describe you in a way that makes sense? Like you know right. me better than that. <clears throat> so, all right. Um, for listeners out there, a few weeks ago, you heard me go off on some wild tirades about some times that I thought that I was doing the right thing and end up erring. I don't know that there's such a thing as failure, even though we're calling it failure. Um, we just learned something different or based mm -hmm. on something different and we don't talk about it enough damn it um so i don't know why i did my hand like that when i did it for those of you that aren't listening um i i just asked for a volunteer and paul was dumb enough to say sure i don't have anything busy on a, much. yeah uh, wednesday night i'm free yeah yeah <laughs> and one thing i like so let me just say this as a community uh, and we're all different beautiful creatures right like we're not all the exact same and i would prefer it that way but for some strange reason nobody ever stands up and says i'd like to talk to you for an hour about how i've messed up mm -hmm. why <laughs> i mean we we absolutely stigmatize failure right there is a failure is often like we talk about moral failings right it's like to not have succeeded is a moral failing you're a bad person for doing it i don't think we set out to do that but i think a lot of us grow up with that you know we absorb that somewhere from from our culture from our families from our our colleagues like somehow like there is a and even just that word right is it you know you have failed um and so it's actually one of the things that I, I did a workshop a few weeks ago. I have a background in um, improv theater, um, sure. and I'm part of a group called the Applied Improvisation Network, which is basically a bunch of theater improvisers who then take the things we've learned for performance and apply that in other situations like business. Um, and uh, and so I was doing I was leading a workshop on applied improv, uh, which was a lot of fun. But I had um, somebody in the workshop who uh, has an extreme sports background. And okay. so when I got to this whole point about failure, because failure is a thing that improvisers love to talk about, um, because we we destigmatize the heck out of it. Uh, but those are funny. Like, like when you're on an improv stage, like failing is f the funniest part of it. When you can embrace that, yes. <clears throat> um, but there are absolutely times when Certainly as you, you're, I mean, you're just going, oh my God, all these people are watching me and I don't know what to say next and, and whatever have you. So, but we had a, an extended conversation in that about just even the word failure um, is sometimes useful to kind of, if you want to embrace that place of learning, right, of uh, that, that it can be useful to excise from your vocabulary. But I did a, I, I don't know, I've done a thing, a couple of things over the years uh, around how can we actually talk about it more. Um, uh, so one of them is, you know, just kind of reframing what failure is. Failure is uh, what happened isn't what we expected to have happen or what we, we it's a mismatch between our expectations and reality. Um, and and honest and learning only happens when there is a mismatch and we then interrogate the difference. I mean, this is the thing that shows up in 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 uh, in the lean stuff and in Toyota Kata, right? right? right. The whole idea is you you say what you think is going to happen, then you look at what actually happened, and when there's a difference, you get curious about that difference. That's you that's go, what logic. Can we learn from that's it? logic right. one on one. Right, but that's failure. We failed to predict what was going to happen. Yeah, and, but but they don't they don't talk about it that way. Um, so I think that that even just is the the, the language around it. But I, I years ago learned this thing. Um, where we talked, we we would do this uh, sometimes in retrospectives, but uh, the failure high five. And so what I what I asked people to do at the beginning of retro is like we'd, we'd pair up, right? And it'd be like, so what's something that you did uh, in the last two weeks that you are proud of, right? That you're super you know, glad that you accomplished, sure. right? And you tell your partner and then you and your partner high five. And then your partner says something that they, you know, accomplished and they're proud of. And then you high five. Right. Start up. The I pod. said, 
Yeah. And so I said, so great. Now here's what I want you to do. I want you to tell your partner something that you failed at, right? That you're not proud of, that you, you wish had gone differently and then high five, right? right? <laughs> and, and do the same thing. And it was this kind of this idea of equanimity, right? Of being able to greet success. And you can almost see my scare quotes around that success and failure with the same face, because when our failure owns us, it's hard for us to learn from it. And so if we can own the failure, then we can actually do something about it. When we can own it, it, it can't own us. So everything you're saying makes 100% logical sense. Not scientifically, logically, everything you're saying makes sense. But here's what happens in the real world mm -hmm. is that leaders stand in front of teams and they say, do you know what? We're gonna fail fast. We're gonna learn from our mistakes. Mm -hmm. And we're going to, and, and they're going to say a bunch of other crap that they quoted from, mm -hmm. from Eric Reese. Yep. And then, um, and then they're going to leave the room and then come back however many weeks later and go, you know, we, uh, we didn't hit our delivery goals. We, you know, we, and mm -hmm. you know, that's okay. We'll try better next time. Do you know what that leader is doing? That leader is not embracing failure and saying it's okay to fail. Though what the leader mm -hmm. is saying, you all made me look bad. I didn't mess up for the record. Y'all mm -hmm. the ones that said you yeah. could do that. I didn't do anything wrong. So what actually happens is, is we think we fail mm -hmm. fast, right? Mm -hmm. Again, dumb air quotes. We think we're going to fail fast and we're going to go, we're okay with that. We have a culture where we embrace learning. We embrace failure kind of a thing. I didn't actually hear you say that you messed up. I I didn't hear you say that. I didn't hear them say, I've not like, I don't know why, why is it that I can say, you know, it's cool that you failed. Mm -hmm. I can give everybody else all the forgiveness in the world. Mm -hmm. I was raised by, I was raised in a house where you forgive, like it's okay. There was tons of, you know, openness for me to not be my perfect self. Right. Mm -hmm. But when it came time that I messed up, when I actually messed up while everybody was saying that was okay, I was inside going, no, I didn't fail or I'm a piece of crap because I failed. Neither one of those is healthy. So because of that, we don't actually say it out loud with yeah. our mouths, right? Yeah. yeah. And I think that the, I mean, what, what you're pointing at is really the, the useful pattern for destigmatizing de failure is not to say that it's okay to fail. It's actually to talk about how we have, and you'll notice that that is okay. Um, and and so I think it yeah I mean what you I, what are where I have seen it be successful, right is where where people higher up in the organization don't spend fifty five minutes of the hour long company all hands talking about success and then five minutes talking about logistics, right? But they actually talk about these were things that went well, and also these were things where we didn't meet our expectations, and here's what we're learning from that. Right. right. And and so actually and, and so you actually don't talk about failure and fail fast. You just talk about your failures. Right. You, and, and you don't have to hang a big sign on them. Right. And say like, oh, we failed. Look how great we are for failing or oh, how terrible are we failing? It's like, how can we actually just come to talk about it as a normal thing? Going back to the idea of, of Toyota Kata. Right. It's just like this is a normal part of the process. It's just not a big deal. I think sometimes when we make a big deal about talking about failure, that actually sets us up to not talk about failure effectively. Right. Right. And then it just becomes again, I even hate calling it that we're talking about this because really we're just learning. Yeah. Like if yeah. we're willing to say, I learned that wasn't the way to do it, mm -hmm. you said I failed the first mm -hmm. time I did that, but mm -hmm. I'm not going to stop from doing it again and i also and we'll try something different right like that's yeah that's I, I worked at, wording yeah i worked at a, a company once where like there was something pretty bad that happened from uh in in our security operations sort of thing right there was there was a there was something that went wrong and uh the engineer who was you know who was assigned to look into it it was really his stuff right kind of went through and did, and this was something that was unusual for that organization at the time, like really did a pretty thorough postmortem, looking at what really happened, looking at all the systemic stuff. And he wrote this whole thing up and then just, and then shared it out 
with all of engineering so that they could learn from what had happened. And somebody else, like, because that was the first time that had really happened in that org. Um, and somebody else, I was talking with somebody else later on, like not long after that, like something similar happened. And I was like, we need to not squander this opportunity to learn from this situation. I, I said something very smart and I can't remember what it was because the other person was just like, she quoted it back to me like years later. Um, and so what ended up getting introduced into that culture was a thing called Today We Learned. And so Today We Learned was a thing that the engineers would put together when something went wrong and they then wanted to share what they had learned from that with the rest of the org. And it became right. a, a cultural practice. And so what was interesting is we didn't frame it as failure, right? It, I mean, obviously it was, something went very wrong. Right. But, but we didn't focus on what went wrong. We focused on what can we learn from this so we can get better in the future. Yeah, and you, as you were describing that to me, so a software engineer, um, is never the only one on their team, right? There's always at least another one. Hopefully they're in pairs or in even numbers so that they can pair. So here's the cool thing is that when this whole thing like pair and mob programming came on, when you watch someone else write code and you're just cheering them on, assisting them, supporting them, right? Like you see them type and you never type great when you're someone else is watching you type. Mm -hmm. And when you're talking through the logic of your code, it never comes out the way you think. And someone's like, wait, like that? Did you mean it like that? And very quickly, software engineers have to get real good at like, oh, yeah, I probably shouldn't have done it that way, should I? Oh, y'all are y'all are returning that way, and I'm not like, oh, I should probably do that just to help you all out, kind of a thing. So by bringing transparency to it, now here's the weird part about us process nerds is that oftentimes and I wrote about loneliness recently and nothing helps you realize how lonely you are than when you're a scrum master, a product owner, an RTE, an agile coach, a program manager, a project manager, a dev man, like a lot of times there are roles. There's a lot of specialized roles in our, in our world. And you're oftentimes the only one in the room and if you're the only one in the room, you never have to tell someone you messed up. And then you just keep going to concert conferences, concerts. I wish our conferences were like concerts. There was the one time in Atlanta that we heard Kottmeyer play, <laughs> but, but that's it. That's it. <clears throat> um, you go to a conference and you just talk about all these wins. Nobody's asking mm -hmm. you when you made a mistake. Mm -hmm. You don't have to talk about them in the hallways ever. So we spend large chunks of our career never being put, I mean, you may go to like a agile COE or an agile meetup mm -hmm. and you might say your hand, you raise your hand and you give an, so maybe once in a while it's like, oh, if it's, you can like explain it away or something. So we've almost created a culture in our community with, with a few role exceptions, right? Mm -hmm. Where you're the only one in the room mm -hmm. doing your role. Mm -hmm. And, and even if there is someone like you, they're all the way on the other side and you don't want to lose credibility right? It may put your, you may put your job, may put your, your rate, you may put what your contract, whatever. Like we've almost created a, a culture where like, it's bad. It is mm -hmm. just bad. And even if it weren't bad, you don't have to, because who's going to be around to call you on it? Yeah. There, like there, there is, there is very little need to admit that what you wanted to have happened didn't happen. Um, <laughs> like that yeah. you didn't, and, and, but I mean, I think that's also the place of like, uh, of recognizing like what, what even is failure in that context? Like I can point to things where I say, well, I failed there and it's because we didn't get the outcome I wanted. Well, it doesn't, doesn't necessarily mean that I failed or that I did yeah. something wrong. Like it just means that what I was hoping for didn't happen. Right. And, and I think. I think the point where, for me at least, the point where I can talk about my failures is the point where I've actually done some learning from them. Like mm -hmm. I have enough distance where I can go, oh, now I actually feel like I can talk about that. So here's a fun one. Um, <laughs> so I alluded to this earlier, so I feel like I had to I had Jared, to go come for back it. Let's just, to it. So, let's let the healing begin. 
Yeah, let the healing begin. Right. So, uh, so I was working with a client. I was in a you know advisory consulting role. I was coming in to basically do this project for them, where they wanted to they wanted me to figure some stuff out and make some recommendations. I'm like, great, no problem. And the way that I do that is always very participatory, right? I, I run some workshops where the people who are in the workshops are going to take something away from it that they can learn and apply, but also is going to give me information because I so I learn something about how this works. So they learn something, I learn something, I sort of do all of that. And so as is commonly the case, like people will show up to these workshops where I've never interacted with them, particularly when it's online, right? Where, where I'm right. working with a distributed company uh, or, or you know, all through 2020 and 2021, like everything was online. Uh, and so um, what happened with this particular client was like, I was, I, I would, you know, people would, I had the, I sent out the invites, you know, to, for these, these uh, Zoom sessions and I, we'd work together and we'd do this thing with these people. And I just had this after doing like four or five of them. And what it was, was I like, we were trying to define a little better what some of the expectations of some of the roles within the teams and particularly leadership roles um, were, should be like, what were things that needed to happen that were useful to support the team? And then how should those, where should we, they be flexible on those where it's like, well, maybe the product manager is going to own that on this team, but the tech lead is going to own that in this other team. Or no, this is a thing that like always needs to be owned by the engineering manager, that kind of work. But it was around like jobs and roles. And, but there was something just kind of weird, like in the, uh, in the, in the water, like while it was going on. And I was like, oh, that's kind of funny. And so in, you know, I finished up. Like the, the vibe, like, like the vibe. Yeah, there was just something oh, okay. off, like particularly right. when people fight, it was, I was like, what, what is it with this? <laughs> okay. And, and so I was writing up the thing to send off to the, the person who'd brought me in, who's someone who I had worked with before. So we had good rapport, but I was writing this up and I was just like, and you know, this is what I noticed as you might notice from the output, this, that, and the other. And then I said, and I just got this kind of weird vibe, like maybe people didn't know what these were about or for. I'm wondering if maybe um, I said, is that typical of of this when you bring in consultants to do this kind of work? And the response that I got back was, yeah, maybe we didn't do the best job of like setting expectations around this because I had several people ask if you were deciding who was going to get laid off. And so it's funny to me because that scene from the office from office space where the bobs are interviewing all the people like anytime somebody asks me what is it like, you do what is it you do here right mm -hmm. i i imagine i'm going to turn into the guy who who yells yeah. at them don't you understand i have people skills um that's my nightmare yeah. and i suddenly realized that i was the bobs for some of these people which is like I like as soon as I realized that I'm like I never want to put anyone in that position. Oh my god! And I was just like, oh no, <laughs> right? And <laughs> and then I kind of stepped back and I went like, okay, like what? How do I not do that again? Because what I I mean, and what I realized is because this is a very common pattern when I work with clients in this particular way. Because I'm, you know, I'm not in the organization every day. There's only like the CTO or some some directors have met me and I've interacted with them. But oftentimes the people in those workshops have no idea who I am. And I'm working in organizations that are kind of overloaded and their communication functions don't necessarily work all that well anyway. So wow. I I was I realized I was relying on exactly the thing that I was there to help them fix. Right. Setting and context. so I was like, oh, okay. Mm -hmm. And so now what I do is at the beginning of any of these, I say, so I want to start just by asking, what have people been told about what it is that I'm here to do? Like, what do you know? And because now I one, I can, I can then find out, like that's also information for me. Like I, I had one group, this is a different client, right? Who said, we had to go check with the CTO that that this wasn't a phishing scam, like that your invite was legit. <laughs> and I was like, okay, good to know, right? But then I can go, okay, so here's what's actually going on. I can correct some of those misperceptions. Right. But it's just like, but I had this like moment of terror of like, I have, bec I have done to people exactly the thing that I don't want done to me. Sure. But I'm only able, but I'm able to talk about that now because I've done the learning from that. 
and I've been able to see like, ah, okay, here's what I can take from it. So I think part of, I think going back to your thing about like, why can't we talk about failure? I think if we haven't done the learning from it yet, if we haven't done the processing, if we still just see it as failure and don't see it as learning yet, then I don't know that we can, like, I could understand why we couldn't talk about it. Because there's probably, there's, I'm sure there's stuff that I've got where I'm still processing it or still avoiding processing it. And so I don't talk about it. Okay. That, that second part you just said was where my follow-up was going to be is like, why, why can things happen years ago and people still not do the learning? Is it willful? Is it subconscious in that we, we don't want to go there. It's almost like if I don't think about it, it never happened kind of a thing. I mean, I, I, I believe, I mean, and you know, it's 2022, you say the wrong thing online. You can not, you can suddenly self find yourself without clients, right? Like mm -hmm. they're like, I, we get that you've got to be careful about your words today, but like, mm -hmm. I mean, is that part of the reason why we just aren't willing to allow ourselves to even dwell on that? I mean, is that, are we just going back into like, tell me about like your childhood? Is it is like, are we getting into that, that realm of territory? Well, so, I mean, so that's a thing that I do, like, particularly with my coaching clients where, where, I mean, we do like my perspective on this is that we, we do a lot of deeply patterned things, right? And uh, where these things just come up and again and again, we, we live in those patterns. Uh, 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 someone who a teacher I had said, uh, we don't live our lives, we live our patterns. Um, and, and so the thing is that as long as those patterns are continuing to work well enough for us, we don't even necessarily examine them. And so um, one of the things that I try to do, I, I, I have done this pendulum swing on a lot of, of my coaching work, but I actually start now with the, or start with the external, right? With the business, what's the business result that you're wanting to get? I mean, this is even with my one-on-one -on -one clients uh, in, an, in a business context. What's the business result you're being asked to, to create that you're, that you're not, right? Where's the gap between the expectation and, and what you're actually doing? Okay, so what's the behavior you would need to change to actually do that? And so it's right. things like, you know, my team, my team is underperforming. Okay, great. What's the behavior? The behavior is I'm not giving, I'm not setting clear expectations for them. Like sure. I'm not, I'm not saying, or I'm like, okay, so what would setting clear expectations look like? Okay, here's what that would look like. Okay, so why aren't you doing that? And that will sometimes get us back to that place of, right. because I tell myself that if I, if I say these things, they will think that I am a terrible person and I will die painfully and alone. Sure. Um, but but I don't start with the let's go to your childhood, right? <laughs> we're only gonna go, we're we're only gonna dig Fair. to that, like, oh, I had this experience where, or I'm noticing that I have this pattern that I've learned from wherever. We're only gonna get there when that's getting in the way of a thing you're actually trying to do right now. Because because otherwise, why would we go there? Like, why do I need to examine this failure if I mean, if it's not getting in the way of what it is that I'm trying to do. I mean, I, I the other thing that I come back to is, that, I mean, just because something didn't go the way that you wanted to doesn't mean there is necessarily something to learn from it, right? It's right. the difference between systemic and, 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 and you know, happenstance, right? Well, it's like, it, yeah. does this thing keep happening? Okay, then maybe I, I, there's something I should learn from that. It sure. happened once, eh. <laughs> sure. No, I mean... I, I say all the time that the biggest, the biggest lesson I the biggest thing I wish I knew in my thirties, like believed was that there's very little in the world that's black and white. I, I used to think everything had an on and off switch. I, I really mm -hmm. did not see a lot of gray in the world until I was like, mm -hmm. I, just a couple years away from 40. And I, and that, and that I'm not particularly proud to admit that it's just, I grew up very sheltered and in a bubble kind of a thing. And so I just thought everything was this way or that way, right? Wrong. And mm -hmm. I just wish I, you know, what you're pointing to is like, you did something. It is neither good nor bad. In fact, it is most of the time, both. So yep. we need to stop characterizing things as good or mm -hmm. bad. And yet we have green, amber, red, right? We have, we have, you know, what'd you like? What did you not, what should we start? What should we mm -hmm. stop? Like, I, you know, now granted some of that doesn't necessarily mean 
good nor bad, but we've said stop and start as good, mm-hmm. bad. And that's just the mm-hmm. way it is like, and God help continue. Like, I don't even know what the hell we're supposed to do there. Um, <laughs> just keep the, on keeping on <laughs> like, oh yeah. Like that's the easiest thing in the world to do. What should we continue doing that? All of those things. Great. Awesome. Okay. Next. Breathing. We should keep breathing. Yes. There you go. Right. You should, Next. you should keep falling. You should keep falling at 9.8 meters per second. Gravity, it's not just a good idea, it's the law. For a few more years, at least. Um, Okay, what is something that you were convinced was one way earlier in your journey, right? Like, first three years. Give Give me one or two examples of something. You were like, that's all there is to it, and there is no way around it. And you realize now, like, again... Don't you, if we don't have to go name calling, you could say like, I was a bit naive. I hadn't had enough experience, like whatever, like what stuff you're just convinced that you, now you're like, no. So <laughs> another fun story time. Uh, this was, I don't know. I don't know if it was first three years of my career, but uh, of this journey, but uh, good enough. Let's, let's, let's say, cause I've had a couple of different journeys uh, along the way. So um, I was working in an organization um, and we were growing pretty rapidly. Like we were in that we were in that hockey stick growth phase in terms of both revenue, but most importantly, headcount, like team and, and teams. And this was a this was a organization that really believed in teams. Like they grew by adding teams and going, great, we need to we need to add all these, you know, w- w- they treated the teams as an atomic atomic unit, which was really great. Right. Um uh, which is wonderful because I've worked in a lot of organizations that don't do that when I and it's because they haven't seen that it's possible. And I go, sure. oh, okay, I get it. So what was happening at the time was that we were rapidly increasing the number of teams, like going from, I mean, when I started, there were four. Uh, within within a year and a half, there were 12. Um, and one of the things about this was that there were certain roles that were shared between multiple teams. Right. Uh, happened to be, right, and, and and not necessarily for a bad reason. And those, and, and we did do the thing where teams that actually had shared members sat next to each other. Mm-hmm. And so you were like, you were with this other team, but you were also right there. And so it was actually super great. And as a coach in that situation, um, where, I, where I was working with multiple teams, it was actually kind of nice because I could see, like I learned faster by having two different Petri dis- dishes to explain. Sure. But here was the thing that I was convinced about was that if we were going to share people between teams, uh, that we should share the same people between the same teams to minimize dependencies. Because because scheduling just started to get ridiculous with this. Um, and so I was convinced that and I was like, well, no, because I and I'm in it, right? I'm feeling the pain of like, okay, so now we've added another team over here. So now these people are split here. So now when can when can we have a backlog refinement? When can we, you know, ah, um, and and it was just a nightmare, right? And I was one of the people who was sort of tasked with making that whole schedule work. So here is where I failed. Um, <laughs> I I believed that. If I just made this problem visible to to the right people, they would go, oh, cool, let's figure out how to solve that. And so what I did was I sort of laid this thing out and I on a whiteboard and I had, you know, and it was like it was like the Pepe Silva board from uh, from uh, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, where he's got the like conspiracy theory, yeah, sort of thing, and all its lines over here and there. And it, cause it, because it was this rat's nest of dependencies. Sure. And, and also conversations. Yeah. And so I got basically like a person in a kind of leadership role from each of those teams into a conference room with this there. And I was expecting that they were going to go, wow, that's a mess. We should figure out how to fix this. And instead, what I got was, why are you wasting our time showing us this? Go solve it. And I then got to go have a conversation with my boss, the VP of engineering, saying, why are you wasting all of these people's time? 
The right. only time I think anybody in that organization has ever been called on the carpet for scheduling a meeting w w that wasted people's time. And it was me, the person who's super into like making sure we're making productive use of people's time. So, <laughs> but I was just like, I couldn't understand like one, why it didn't work. And two, wh why that was my fault. Like, what did I do wrong? Um, I'm and still it's not sure you're wrong. You were wrong. I but I certainly did not achieve the result that I was hoping for. Okay, let's that's just fair. say that. I mean, that's I kept fair. my job. That and honestly, like that conversation. I'm probably blowing this out of proportion, but that conversation with my boss was as close as I ever feel that I was to like. You're just getting fired right now. Like, <laughs> like I need you to go clean out your desk today. Is what I what I where I thought that conversation was going. It probably was. I mean, it obviously didn't, right? Sure. He probably wasn't even thinking about that. But I just, I, I was just like, Ugh. but what was fascinating was I was at Agile Open SoCal um, last week, and I actually told this story because somebody asked me about. I don't remember how we got it, and I told this story, and they're like, "What would you do differently now?" And I went, "I'm not really sure." So I'm not sure what I've, if I have learned from that. I mean, I think what I've learned is that my instinct about how to solve that problem. Uh, was not correct that other people even when presented with the visualization of it like weren't feeling an ownership of the problem they weren't i didn't what i didn't do was i didn't validate like that that i went with big bang integration of i'm gonna make this giant conspiracy theory diagram and get 25 people in a room to look at it as opposed to going and then they'll come up with a solution as opposed to going what if i did this and then like grabbed a couple of people and went, what do you think about this? And they all, oh, here's what you should do. Like, maybe that, that you might be- You showed them the problem that they already knew existed and expected them to tell you like what to do when they were like, no, tell you, you did the before. We want to know what the after is. You called a yeah. meeting without giving us the after that, but yeah, yeah. Well, but also, but I, thinking about it now, right? A little bit more. I also didn't set themselves, set them up for success in terms of like, so here is how we're going to work with this. Like, I, I thought that if I laid the problem out, they'd self-organize around it and solve the problem. And boy, and, did uh, they. And again, <laughs> so, so that was fun. <laughs> okay. What about, what about, what is something you said before? There's no way that's air quotes agile. That's big A. That's not agile. That's not, that's not agile. That's not agile. Oh. But now when you look back, you're like, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. I don't, I don't know. Do I, do I, do I know for sure? Yeah. Um, so I think, uh, I mean, one of the things that's definitely shaped my thinking about some of that is a lot of the team topologies approaches um, uh, and really like, as I worked in organization, that organization, like as it grew, like there really was a lot of the cross team coordination stuff that within the teams they, they you know they th their teams were operating in a really solid way those teams were really good but as they started to grow they started to get things that really crossed those boundaries and i was like we'll just let the teams figure out how to coordinate um because like having to, an explicit model for how you coordinate or, or or that like that's not agile um and and now like looking back on it um and and seeing that there are alternatives that there are ways of doing this and the idea of reducing cognitive load on teams right of of still keeping teams aligned to those value streams so you you've got that good flow of value through but also that um and you and and the way that you're you're aligning your platform teams and your enabling teams actually enables agility right enables right. being responsive um as opposed to uh, well, every team has to, you know, do everything and solve all their own problems and, uh, you know, and things like right. that. So like that, that's certainly a place where, where my sense of it uh, has changed. Yeah. I, I still remember the very first time someone that, you know, I thought I was coaching, right. And we were talking through a problem. I gave him, I gave him the solution thinking like, oh, You've just manna has fallen from heaven that my the, the 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 veil has been lifted right like and and he looked at me and he goes merman uh can i give you some advice if you want to do this like long term kind of a thing um i don't know that you telling me what to do is going to ever help or get me to like do it faster mm -hmm. you could give me like here's an option mm -hmm. 
maybe try it out or maybe don't. But here's mm-hmm. what I think. It'd be cool if you tried it and I'll do it or I won't do it. And I'll let you know. And if I don't do it and I should have done it, then I'll let you know. He goes, can we just do that from now on? And I was like, okay, sure. And I left that room thinking that guy is a freaking moron, right. an absolute idiot. How dare I just handed him like, mm-hmm. like veal Parmesan, like on a platter, right? Like, I gave you a great dish and you just spat in my face. And now I'm back, now I'm looking back on what an idiot I was. Well, I mean, uh, it's the, it's the thing where like, as a coach, they have to do the work, right? If it's, if it's not going to work for them, then it's not going to yeah. work. Like the, the thing that um, piece of advice that I was given years ago that I still carry with me, right. As a coach is that, I can't want it more than they do. That's a good point. And when I do, inevitably, when I do, that's that's when things go all kinds of sideways, <laughs> right? But also, like if if I'm you know if I'm there to help the team, and the team isn't interested in in changing and isn't interested in improving, right? And and so I feel like I'm failing because they're not. You know, because I do want it more than they do right now, like then I then that failure thing comes up. And so part of it is like recognizing um, that me just wanting it doesn't help. Right. Um, And that that in order to that, I have to say, look, if this doesn't happen and it's because they aren't willing to do the work or they don't like then that's not that's not all on me. Now, obviously, there are if I and I've found if you're being paid this is another, <laughs> but this is another failure mode. There's another thing I learned from failure, right? Um, I was once asked I was, again in, in an organization, um, at a director of engineering asked me to go coach team, right? He's like, I need you to help this team improve. Um, and it was great that he asked me to do that, and it would have been really nice if he had told them that. But, <laughs> Because I mean, what happened? And and this is this was my failure. You walked in with I, a Vader mask and a red lightsaber lit, basically. I well, but it was it was actually the case of like, oh, okay, Paul's here to you know work with us. But what he didn't do was tell them what he was expecting from them that he wasn't getting. Right, he never set the expectation yep. of, I need you to be here, and you're here, and. We're here to support you in that growth, right? To 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 get yeah. there, and so Paul is here to work with that. But but you need to do the work to close that gap. That didn't happen. Instead, it was well, Paul's here to work with this team, and they were like, "Okay, great. We like Paul. He's a nice guy. He doesn't push us too hard." And I'm a people pleaser, so like, if they didn't want to, you know, and I tried to point out sometimes it's vaudeville acts, you know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but so. So the thing was, is that I absolutely wanted to get better. wanted them to get better. I wanted it more than they did. Sure. But that's, but that was also because I could I now look and go, well, I see why they didn't want it. There was never an expectation set. Right. And, and I wasn't in a position where I could set that expectation. So I needed to sort of work back through that. I, but see, here's the cool part is that learning is that you also, there was this emotional pressure you were putting on yourself because mm-hmm. you wanted it so bad. I, uh, old coaching partner uh, of mine, Scott Frost, always tells clients, if you want it bad, you'll get it bad. Well, guess what happens if they don't want it bad? They ain't going to do shit. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yep. Like, But if I want it more than they do, mm-hmm. do I want them to get better? Sure. But I feel like there's a maturity of us realizing like, I can't need it that badly. If I need it that badly, mm-hmm. I got to do some work on myself because, mm-hmm. yeah. man, because- I'm... I either want my job too bad. I want my bonus too bad. I want my whatever. I want my next promotion. I Whatever. Like mm-hmm. I can't, I can't want to help them and need them to succeed more than they do. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. Because, it's, it's genius, but crazy. It, well, and, and it, I mean, it is because they've got to do the hard work of the learning and the growth. Like you can support them to do that, right? You right. can bring your, your experience and your wisdom and your fun facilitation tricks and, you know, all these things, but fundamentally they've got to do the learning and the change. Um, and, yeah. and, and that, like, I have mad respect for every client that I work with, who's actually really in it to do that. 
right? To get to, to, as I said, like a lot of the work that I do is about shifting on a productive patterns. And so it's about when they recognize we're stuck in this pattern and we need to shift out of it, shifting out of patterns is hard. Like there's a lot to it. And so where, what has helped me, what I've learned from those experience of wanting it super bad and it right. coming out all kinds of weirdos sideways. And then I start blaming them for anyway, all these other things, right? Where I've gotten to with that has mostly been going. I had a, I had an improv teacher um, who, uh, I, when I was first starting an improv, uh, I was going through the, the this company's um, you know workshop series, and then I got to perform uh, on stage as part of the group uh, in their sort of like showcases because they had basically Friday night was uh, was up and comers with some of the senior troop members, and then Saturday nights was the senior troop, um, mm. and so graduating from like graduating from Fridays to Saturdays was a was a super big thing. So I'm 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 a Friday performer. Like it's like the second or third show that I'm I'm in, and I'm super hyped, right? And we're out in the alleyway behind the theater, because um, inevitably that's where you end up before the show, right? The green room's kind of small, and somebody needs a cigarette and whatever, right? Um, and uh, and so we're out there, and I'm so hyped, and I'm ready to go out on stage. I'm ready to sting. It's gonna be awesome, and um, and uh, the one it's actually one of the founders of the troupe. So he's been doing this for 25 years at this point, and uh, he just comes out and he says, uh, he says, okay, we're, uh, we're going to go out there and, um, either the magic will happen or it won't. And I was just, uh, I was just like, browsing. What? <laughs> you thought he was about to, you, you thought you were like, wait, is he being Rosencrantz or Guildenstern? I can't yeah, tell. Exactly. I was like, huh? <laughs> but, yeah. but I, you know, I came to learn that that he was right. Like you went out there and you did the work and either the magic happened or it didn't, mm -hmm. but it, but it didn't mean that you were a bad person if it just for whatever reason didn't come together that night. No. Right. Not... And you, but that doesn't, and it doesn't necessarily mean you're doing it wrong, right. For whatever reason, sure. the pieces didn't line up. And so, um, and so for me, the funny part is that like that troop was like one of my great experiences of learning from failure as well, because one oh. of the things we did every night after the show, right? So we do two out, we do a two hour show, like 45 minutes, 10, 20 minute intermission, 45 minutes, say goodbye to the audience. I was leave. We'd all come back into the theater. Right. And uh, someone would have been taking notes during the show. And basically we just run through every bit in order and we just talk about it. Like what worked, what didn't, what we were trying to go for. We debrief the whole thing every Friday and Saturday night. Um, and so you'd just look like, you'd relive these moments of like, yeah, I shouldn't have said that, <laughs> <laughs> but you'd learn from it. And it was, and it was, uh, you know, you did a thing on stage in front of a handful of people and you weren't super proud of it, but you know, then it was over and you went, okay, cool. We'll kick it around. We'll do it next week. And so there was a lot of that of just like, sure. yeah, we failed repeatedly. And then we stopped to learn from the process and, and, and recognizing that it wasn't that you were a good or bad person if the magic didn't or didn't happen right. and just kind of going, that's just par for the course. It's just how it works. And so that's the a big lesson that I've taken into the work that I do of, I, I show up, I do what, what I know, right? Because it is, I have found over time that it is generally useful. I observe what's going on. And then I go, oh, okay. Why didn't that work? Oh, maybe I should have told them why I'm here. Right? <laughs> you know, how do I just keep learning from that process? Um, and that, that, that's, and so absolutely there are things that I do where I'm just like, oh man, I wish I hadn't have done that. Yeah. But, but you That's know, the best part. <laughs> they make for good stories. Sure. Years later. Years sure. later. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, my, my favorite, uh, my most embarrassing moment on stage. Uh, it wasn't even during a performance. I was probably a sophomore in high school, so not even driving age, right? And our, and our drama teacher at this school. By the way, her only child graduated four years ahead of me, or three years ahead of me, like. I mean, she's getting up there, right? She's not a young lady, right? I remember the very first time we're doing this performance and I show my back to the stage and uh, her name was Ms. Blackwell. And uh, she goes, Mr. Murr, and she like, she just interrupts us rehearsing 
in the loudest voice, Mr. Merman, you have an amazing ass, but I do not want to see it right now. I don't know how else Good to wrap times. this up other than that. Yeah. Like I think yeah. that that's we should just leave that there. Yeah. I don't that she's and I, I that's all I'm gonna say about that story. <laughs> and you and you carry it with you these many years <laughs> later. But but that is the thing. Like these uh, these are these moments where we have these they're burned in our memories because we have these strong emotional reactions to them. Um yeah. and, and I think that there is a piece of like we're always going to carry this with us, but can we yeah. carry it with us in a way that is useful to us and that serves us rather than being an anchor that just drags us down? Sure. Yeah. Um, Paul, this is amazing. Where let's you, you said all this amazing work you did at the very beginning. If people are interested in saying hi to you or chatting about your work, where should they find you? Uh, so you can find me. I'm on LinkedIn. Um, I'm, you know, LinkedIn slash in uh, Paul Tevis. That's T-E-V-I-S. Um, you can find me on Twitter. I'm P Tevis there. Uh, and you can find uh, my home on the the internets is uh, helpingimprove.com uh, is our website. Fantastic. Uh, I The Paul's, uh, Paul's Twitter bio picture is incredibly old, just like mine is. And his yes. hair on that picture is amazing. If just follow him on Twitter just to see the picture. Trust me, he does not. He is a. He is a. The the pandemic did some amazing things to your locks. You have you have some amazing hair, and I have none. So there you go. <laughs> Fair. You, there we go. Um, <laughs> well, thanks for having me, Chris. Yeah, I really Paul, I, I appreciate it. Uh, every, uh, I'll do the closing now. Don't hang up. Um, the, uh, you you know where to find us all. Patreon, uh, Discord um agileuprising.com i uh i am chris merman he is paul tevis please if you have not talked about how you could have done something better before please do so tomorrow whenever tomorrow is i am chris merman he's paul tevis we are signing off